right. Thank you. Thank you all. And uh, I don't know that we got to welcome Janae last week, but Janae, good to have you back with us again. She's, uh, you know, this is a, this is a special lady right here, folks. Special lady, last name, awesome last name, Peters, Janae Peters. So, I mean, this is a special, special lady. So we're glad to have you back with us. All right. I invite you to turn with me in your uh, Bibles to uh, Luke. We're going to begin a new series in Luke this Sunday, and I'm excited to get started with that. Uh, looking at uh, Luke 7, we're going to start with. And as you turn there, in a moment, we're going to watch a video. So maybe if um, Brandon, in a moment, if you can go back in the back and dim the lights down when we do that, because it'll help us to see that a little bit better. Uh, we talked last week about planetarium, satellite, drone, hopefully helped us a little bit to think about how God is inviting us to see not only the glory of his call for us in missional living, but how his word really is reflecting his mission. He's it's telling us about his mission in, in the world and then trying to get down locally, very, very grassroots level. How can we participate in that? We, we talked about that last week. And this week, we want to continue on uh, and, and really begin as well a new series. We're going to walk through about five chapters of the book of Luke. And I just feel like it'd be good for us to get some time face-to-face, so to speak, with Jesus. And walking through a section of the Gospels is really one of the best ways to, to do that. And we haven't done a, a series along those lines in a little while we have done not too long ago a series in the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew. There's a section in Luke that's kind of similar. It's called the Sermon on the Plains there, but it has some similar things that Jesus taught there as well. And so we're going to basically pick up right after that in in Luke. With that in mind and that background, let's take a look at Luke chapter 7. I'll read aloud these verses. You read along with me silently. Jesus' encounter with a centurion servant. Beginning in verse 1, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he, Jesus, entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he's a He is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers unto me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, They found the servant well. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would today 
and in the upcoming weeks and months, allow us to meet with Jesus through your word, through the things revealed here of his ministry, of his words, of his life. Lord, we thank you for the video we saw and how that helps us to begin to put this in the larger context of Luke's message here and in the book of Acts. And we pray that as we look at these pieces each week, that you would put them together for us into really for each one of us, a life transforming picture of who Jesus is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's interesting as we look at this interaction that Jesus has with this centurion and the centurion with him, it highlights, if you will, today one main idea that I want to try to unpack for us and that hopefully we can begin to embrace in fresh ways or maybe for the first time today. And it's just this, that if we grasp Jesus's gracious authority, we will be those who are humbled, fall on his mercy, and seek power for those in need. Seek power for those in need for ourselves and for others around us. So that's what we want to take a look at today is trying to grasp Jesus's gracious authority and then look at what it means for us. <clears throat> now we've already got a good bit of background here, sort of big picture from the book of Luke. And as we begin to see these verses and think about what Jesus does here and the implications of it, it, it probably brings to our mind a couple of different thoughts depending on where we sit today relative to our relationship with the Lord. Uh, for some of us, we, we might feel like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much entitled to, to Jesus's care and support and salvation. Why wouldn't he do good stuff for me? Uh, maybe you, you wouldn't say it out loud, but in, in our heart of hearts, we th maybe think, I, I've got things pretty well together. I pay my taxes, haven't murdered anybody, generally try to do the right thing. So why wouldn't Jesus help me out just like he helped this centurion out? Maybe that's one posture that we have. Uh, others of us here are probably on the other side of the spectrum and feel like I can't imagine any reason that God would possibly love me, that Jesus would possibly uh, give me good things because I know who I am. I know where my heart is. I know what I've thought. I know what I've done recently or in the past. So there's no way he could treat me that way. Regardless of where we kind of land on those two, and even if we realize that Jesus is, is in fact the Son of God and he intends to show love, probably most of us wrestle to grasp the triune God's power to carry out what he says he's going to do his authority. And I, I thought about that. I know I walked through a series last fall talking about God meeting us in our struggles, but I know I've thought about that a lot this last year. I'm a person that for, well, since I was 17 or so, I've professed faith in Christ. I've had my ups and downs along the journey, but I've been generally trying to grow in a relationship with the Lord. 
and I believe the things that God says about eternal life and those promises, and I've preached funerals, and I've encouraged people who were struggling with those words, but probably like a lot of us, you know, it doesn't really hit home till the rubber meets the road. And when I had some of those health issues last year in May or so, and really some that made me fearful for my life, right? Am I going to make it? Am I going to survive? And thoughts that uh, I'll say come back from time to time, even today. As I thought about those and processed that reality, I realized, you know, I believe at some level that Jesus, his promises and his word is true, that he's got the power to take me a, a fallen person and have me be shown and declared righteous before a holy God and taken into this eternal kingdom that he's promised and that is, is in existence. I, I believe that at some level, but now I'm learning to believe it at a stronger level. And I'm sure other things will come along. I'm not looking forward to the pathway he'll take me on, but I'm sure there's other things that are going to come along to help me believe it at another level. So it's one thing to kind of say, yeah, I know Jesus has got all the power in the universe. I get it. He's God, so therefore he can do that. And it's a whole other thing to actually apply that to our hearts, to the things that weigh us down, to the things that cause us worry and burden us. So I want you to think about that today. Where are you? Do you feel like, eh, Jesus, eh, Jesus ought to do some good stuff for me? You wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe you feel that way. Or, or on the other side of things, you're like, eh, there's no way he's ever going to do anything good for me. I don't even, why even talk to him? Why even reach out to him? And then as you think about those things, I want you to think as well, where do you stand on this idea of Jesus' authority, his power to carry out? the things that he says he will do for you and for me. A couple of background items before we draw just a, a couple of three quick application points from the passage today. Uh, three C's that are helpful in this, uh, this passage to, to know a little bit about. First of all, this is an encounter with a centurion. We might have some general understanding of what that means, but it's a very interesting passage in terms of the interaction of two, two people groups, I guess three if you count you know, Jesus as a, as a distinctive one, but there are Jews that are together with the centurion. The centurion is part of an outside occupying Roman military force in this region of Israel. He's a commander of a hundred or something like that probably like a captain would be in our military, like a, someone who's a rank of captain, perhaps, in our military. And it's interesting, centurions, if you just look at that term, Google it in the Bible, they, they got a pretty good rep. They, they look pretty good in the, in the scriptures. At the, you've got this passage, of course. You've got the cross at, at Calvary when Jesus speaks to one of the centurions. Or the centurion says, surely this was God's son. He's one of the people at the cross that professes, while other people, some of the Romans and some of the Jews, are responding in various other ways to Jesus. One of the centurions responds. And then, of course, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, you can read all about one particular centurion and how in the early church he was, he was uh, interacting with Peter and others. And, and so centurions, it seems, these, these guys, I don't know what it is about their situation or their job or their, what it is, but they 
There, there seems to be some openness and propensity that the Bible highlights for faith with the centurion. But it, they are part of an outside occupying force, so that's interesting. So that's one C. The second C is Capernaum. And if you look again at Capernaum throughout the Bible, it's not as familiar of a place as Jerusalem or Judea or some, you know, some of those terms that maybe we're a little more familiar with, but Capernaum really is like ground zero for a lot of the incredible things that happen in the Bible. Uh, just like you would say uh, Wittenberg, and you would probably think, hey, Reformation, that's ground zero for Reformation. You might think Boston, and automatically you think, oh, American Revolution, Tea Party, all of that. Uh, you might think Selma, and you think uh, civil rights movement, whatever concept you want to grab, the, the idea here is this place represents ground zero for a lot of Jesus's activity and ministry. Third C, and this is probably maybe the most important one for us, is concern. Concern. And this is the way I mean it. The centurion is concerned about his servant. And I think what's important to realize as we think about ourselves, and then also maybe more so as we think about the community around us, our friends, family, and coworkers, who maybe aren't connected with church or aren't connected with the walk with God, is that everybody has things that they're concerned about. Everybody has what we would call felt needs, things that are on their hearts and minds. You think about a list of those that you could make just in our community. What are the things that are on a lot of people's hearts and minds? Marriage, divorce, struggles in that relationship, parenting, children. How do we navigate those uh, situations? How do we be better parents? What's it, what are my responsibilities and calling as a child? Sexuality. Sexual temptation, certainly something that's being dished up all around us. Materialism, uh, chasing after the next uh, fancy toy, and then maybe if we can put debt in connection with that. Those are things that are felt needs that are very common in our, our community and culture. Work and rest, right? We're, I had a mentor one time that said, wherever you are, be all there. And boy, if I could just do that, right? When we're at work, we spend half our time thinking about being at rest. When we're supposed to be at rest, we spend half our time thinking about being at work. If we could put those in right perspective. Anxiety, eating disorders, substance addiction, the quest for never-ending comfort. I saw a little blog this week that said that uh, ease, E-A-S-E, might be the new big idol. You know, everything's got to be easy for us. Amazon at the front door, pick up at Walmart. All these things that are good, nothing wrong with them, but everything's got to be easy and anything that's hard, we don't pursue. Well, these are things that if you, if you think about us or the community around us, we could make a long list, I'm sure. These are kind of felt needs. The centurion, his felt need is, I need my servant better. Now, we don't know how much of that is he just loves the servant, and cares for the servant. We don't know how much of that is. The servant just really is useful to him. So it could be pragmatic, probably a mix of both. But he's got a burden for this. 
And I, I like the way one commentary put it, and I, I think you've got the quote in your worship guide uh, back page if you want to look at it. One commentator said this when we think about, and the video highlighted it, when we think about the poor or the needy, in the Bible we're thinking about people that are feeling or have a sense that you're outside of God's favor or God's love. It might be because of material things, like materially poor, but it might be other things. Anyway, Wilcock, one of the commentators, says this. He says, what is noteworthy in all three of these incidents is that each describes a need which God alone can meet. And when we think of the people concerned, we realize that their poverty consists precisely in this, that in the eyes of Jesus' contemporaries, such people have no resources to meet those needs because they have no claim on God. Well, let's get into the passage itself and for our last two or three minutes here, take a look at a couple of key takeaways for us. One thing that you can't miss when you walk through this passage is that this is an invitation for us as we think about encountering Jesus to be humbled, to be humbled. We don't know a lot about the centurion's spiritual background. We know that the Jewish leaders are uh, commend him. They think he's a pretty special person because he's helped to build their synagogue, right? He's a big giver. It's kind of like the old story you heard about probably the, the guys on the deserted island that end up getting stranded, two of them. And one of them's all concerned about how they're going to get off that island at some point. And the, the other one is just as relaxed as could be. And the first one says, how can you be so calm? We're here on a deserted island. We're stuck. And Another guy says, well, it doesn't bother me. He said, well, why does it not bother you? He said, well, I make a million dollars a year. The other guy says, man, we're, we're stuck on a deserted island. What is a million dollars a year going to do for you? The other guy says, well, I make a million dollars a year and I tithe. My pastor will find me. <laughs> he's not worried. The centurion's like this guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's given somehow. For some reason, he feels motivated to give to the people of God and to their purposes at the time. He wants to do that. And, and yet, the contrast is impressive because the, the Jews that are around him are thinking about what he has to merit his relationship with Jesus. But the centurion gets what hopefully you and I know and are realizing we got nothing to merit anything with Jesus. And the centurion knows that. And so he kind of calls for Jesus and then he sort of waves him off. It's almost, we've all done that before. You sort of start down some road, you start a sentence in a conversation. You say, I think I'll back my way right out of that one. I think I'll stop that sentence. It's almost like he does that with Jesus. Hey, come Jesus, wait a minute. Upon further reflection, I don't even deserve for you to come in my house. I don't even deserve for you to be near to me in that way. So he's humbled. And you know, every week we try to do something. You say, well, this worship service is a little bit, this whole Presbyterian thing is a little bit uh, structured and we've got all these parts of the worship service. I, I get it. You don't have to do it the way that we do it to have it be a good godly worship service. But there's a reason to having that call to confession each week, the silent time and the assurance of pardon. It's so we'll grow in humility. Be reminded of how much we need uh, forgiveness, how much we're not worthy of it to remember God's grace. So obviously this passage is an invitation to walk with God in fresh humility. And then I'm going to flip my, my points a little bit here. 
uh, on the last two. It's also an invitation for us to seek his power. I already talked about this a little bit with my story and my situation earlier with Jesus's authority. But if you look at this passage, it's, it's really impressive. The centurion says, in verse 7, he says, just say the word and let my servant be healed. And then this guy understands it from his own context, his own work life context. He's a military person, so he gets the idea that if a person really has authority, if they really can accomplish something, and where else, you know, military is probably the most structured authority we can think of. When, when the, the leader, the military leader says, charge, you charge. When the military leader says, retreat, you retreat. Whatever that person says happens. And the centurion realizes that Jesus works like this as well. That what he says, the things that are promised in his word, that he says he will do for us, you and I can bank on. Can bank on. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? That he has that authority? Last thing we see in these verses is that the centurion is an example, not just of one who's humbled, not just of one who sees Jesus' power, but of one who just throws himself on the mercy of God. And Jesus loves this, right? Jesus cannot stand it when people, when we, when others come, and it's easy to look at this passage and say, oh, those silly Jews, with their, you know, what were they thinking with talking about his merit and not realizing this? But there's other places where the Jews are commended as well for their faith. The point is this, God in this passage is trying to set up a contrast for us and help us realize in this verse 9, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. There's a couple other passages in the Gospels that are like that, where unlikely people end up getting commended by Jesus. You know what that means for you and me? That means that if you're one of those people that thinks, there's no way. Jesus could love me with the things that I think about and the things I've done and with who I am. You can know from this, all you got to do is demonstrate it really an ounce of faith in the true love and working of Jesus. And Jesus is going to honor that. He's going to recognize that. And conversely, if we think we've got it figured out, and we think we're kind of some kind of special religious people even because we do good stuff like our quiet time and show up at church on Sunday. Yeah. Jesus is not a big fan of that. He loves people that fall on his mercy and he responds to that with his grace and his mercy. Let's pray.